people change for emotionally, either to get out of pain, to avoid pain, or to, for instant pleasure or future pleasure, four motivational factors for change. So when we take a look at an individual and have a conversation with them, as we start to take a look at the problems, we need to uncover the reasons for the problems to figure out the reasons are fixable and who owns the reasons. Then from the reason, we're going to go into the impact. When we start taking a look at the impact, that impact is personal. could be to the business. It could be how it's affecting other individuals, affecting um, projects you have going on. But at the end of the day, how much financial impact is it having? Welcome to Create New Futures. Thought-provoking conversations with leaders, experts, and interesting minds. Join us as we explore ideas and reflect on practices that you can use and apply to create and shape the future. With your host, author and strategy consultant, Aviv Shahar. Welcome to Create New Futures, where we develop conversations with successful leaders to explore how you can create new futures for you and for your organization. This is Aviv, and today I'm speaking with Glenn Matson. Glenn is the CEO of Matson Enterprise, where he leads a team of consultants who provide solutions to agency leaders and salespeople facing the challenges of achieving extraordinary success in highly competitive and overcrowded markets. Glenn is also an effective speaker, a focused coach, working with entrepreneurs to convert their vision into actionable plans and to, in the process, transform their businesses into a more efficient, productive, and profitable one. Glenn, it's great to have you here. Welcome. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you. What have I missed in my introduction about you that everybody should know about? At the end of the day, the bios are great, but what we do is, is really help people understand where they're going individually and or as a company or as an organization and what's the best route to get there. And that's most strategic, most tactical that you can achieve it. And more times than not, people have the vision, but it's their internal scripts and some of the behavioral attitudes and cultures inside the office that holds people back from actually following it. So we help people really just see what they want and then put a plan together. But more importantly than all that is actually execute the plan. So we do that with large organizations right down to individuals. And of all the things you do in, in your work, what do you enjoy the most? You know, that's a great question. It's going to sound a bit cliche, I suppose, but I'm a coach throughout my entire body, right? That, that, that's who I am. I actually love helping people who can strip the doubt, the fear, the, the negative beliefs they have in their head, the guilt and the worry, and really what's holding them back from really becoming the best they can become. So when you look at your ideal self and you look at who you are, it's all that negative stuff that just are chains around your ankles. So when I can help people break those chains, use new tactics and strategies and have new behaviors and really become who they should be versus who they are, it's really quite, for me, quite awesome to sit back on the sideline and watch them transform themselves. Now, on the other side, I love about my business. It's different every day. Everyone I sit down with, I mean, obviously, there's some very common problems that people have with leadership and entrepreneurship and management, but having conversations with people and helping them develop through those is different every day, which makes it fantastic. So how do you help people indeed absolve or let go of those negative beliefs and, as you said, re-script 
their beliefs such that they're able to take new actions from a new place in themselves, in essence, change their operating system? What, What are some of the processes, techniques, tools that you deploy to facilitate that type of transformation for leaders? Yeah, absolutely. So when we look at either, and it really doesn't make a difference if we're going into a large corporation, going into a smaller business, going into a boutique firm, or dealing with an individual, when you look at an organization or an individual, there's three key areas we believe for success. It's attitude, behavior, and technique. So if we only spend time on technique, that's what to do, when to do it, how to do it, that's your strategy, your tactics. You have to know them, you have to own them, right? That's fine. But when we take a look at the behavior, and that's planning, goals, activities, actions, discipline, consistency, ex- execution of their plans. Yet when we look up at attitude, attitude drives our behavior and it allows us to use our techniques. So when someone is really successful, how come they choose to start to slow down their behavior so they don't make more money than they should have? Right? So someone has a great month and they have a great month they slow it down because they're exceeding their expectations. Yet if, if other people sit down with someone, they want to have a culture of accountability, yet the team leader has need for approval or fear of rejection, you can train people all day long. Training doesn't change people. So part of it is having them become aware of the fact they have these negative beliefs in realizing those negative beliefs, because some of them actually think they're positive, that those negative beliefs have an impact that is actually causing more of the problems they have inside their firm than they believe. So once they understand, A, they have it, awareness is key, then they understand the impact of it, that gives them the motivation, then we give them the tools on how to fix it, and it just comes together. So awareness is is step one, always in in the process of change. And and then you want to catalyze beyond the first, the awareness of the behavior and the awareness of the impact of that behavior you want to rescript the belief system and catalyze change. Is, is there a, for instance, that you can share? Yes, uh, for if, sure. If you're working with a leader and, and specifically rescripting that behavior and, and what was then, what were they then able to do? I would say in today's day and age, everyone wants to have a culture of accountability. And if you look at all the studies that will turn around and tell you that 87% of the people walking planet Earth want people above them that they report to, to quote unquote, supervise their work to make them better. 87%, 88% said, if I had supervision, I would be better. Yet, 90% of those people said, only time I've ever had supervision is when I'm about to get fired or I'm on probation or something's negative. So accountability has a negative change to it. Yet, now when we look over to the management team, you're talking about how most people want to have accountability. We call our leaders, less than 41% of leaders, less than 41% of leaders have any desire, any commitment, any want to hold other people accountable. So even when you put all this culture and training and techniques in place, the reason they don't want to hold people accountable is because they have what's called a high need for approval. High need for approval is innately in all of us. The question is, how bad do you have it and who do you have it with? It's an internal desire that you need to be liked by other people, i.e. you value what they think of you more than you think of yourself. Now, need for approval is the umbrella of fear of rejection and fear of success and other pieces go underneath that umbrella. But need for approval drives people to do what's right or to do what's going to make them be liked. 
And in many times as a leader, as a manager, as someone who's running a company or a division, being liked is not necessarily what we have to fix the problem. So need for approval is one of the reasons we have accountability as an issue, the reason that we don't have a successful mindset that we need in other people that work for you, which is accountability, ownership, and responsibility. It's the same mindset. It's just looking at it from different standpoints. So as a leader, if they have need for approval, they almost can't lead because they're trying to be everyone's friend. Now, people who are listening in right now may say, oh, I'm, I don't have that. I'm not soft. I, I, I'm, I'm strong with people. I can say what I need to. I can be confrontational if I want. And it doesn't mean that you're going to be rude with people. But they, people listening in may be really good with one type of person. But when the conversation turns over to your peer, your need for approval may kick in. If it maybe turns to going upstairs and talking to the board, your need for approval kicks in. I have some people that run multi-million, right, million dollar businesses, hundred, two hundred million dollar businesses, and they're afraid to hold their assistant accountable. At the end of the day, our success and how much money we make doesn't necessarily determine how strong we are internally. The need for approval by far is the number one reason that sales don't happen inside of any organization. Need for approval is the number one reason that we have cultural issues going on internally. Need for approval is the number one reason that we have a culture of helplessness or lack of accountability inside of an organization. Yet what organizations will do is they'll throw money, time, and energy at training people how to, not the yeah. how-to problem. As I choose not to problem. And choose not to is a, is a will, not a skill. So we're working on the wrong end of the problems. Right. Well, I, I will argue that the need for approval find its roots in low self-esteem. And that in the example you therefore offered, the, for there to be sustained transformative change, you must address both the exterior and the interior. And the exterior is indeed those accountability systems and measures and the cadence with which you, you review that, those measures and to the degree to, to which they are visible on a dashboard that everybody can see uh, every day, so to speak. And at the same time, that for that transformative change to be sustained, there has to be that interior rescripting of belief systems. And that you, I believe as a coach, you're there to facilitate and lead both transformations, the exterior and the interior at the same time. Yes. Part of the issue is, again, is I don't want to be the bad person. I don't want to be the burden of bad news. I don't want to be someone that they're not going to like internally. No one says that's the reason they do it. But when you have a conversation with you and start peeling back the onion, that is what's the problem. And, you know, you, you have, and it's not saying that you have to be brash and rude and in your face, but if you have a plan, and I always love this content, this, this debate, is it plan or is it execution? Which one's more important? The reality is if you don't have execution, the plan wasn't a good plan. Plan and execution is the same thing. So people with a high need for approval historically have great plans, but anything that they have to do from an execution standpoint not necessarily on sales, but if the sales go sideways or they need to have a break in new ideas or new concepts, a new CRM, and have people change their habits, if your leadership team has need for approval, that's going to be one long road unchanged. You also say that being successful isn't difficult, that thinking and acting successful is. Is this a, a variation on a theme? Is this within the vein of what you are now describing? Or, or if not, uh, say more what you mean by that. 
No, but I mean, being successful, if we look at, and again, everyone has a, an interpretation of what success is, but we have a program called No Guts, No Gain that helps people become a little more assertive with who they are. And it's, it's not anything that works on the outside of the body. It's all the stuff that works on the inside of the body. And when we look at that, if you follow a process, I'm sure you have one, everyone has a process, it's been around for a long time. Being successful is, again, on paper, not a very difficult thing to become, again, depending on what success means. The hard part for most people is not doing or saying what, what, what says in front of them by in a role play. It's actually doing it. It's sitting in a board meeting. It's sitting in a meeting where you have five of your peers and you're talking about a strategy or where you're going to be the enterprise in the next three or four years. And you don't think it's right and you don't say anything. You wait until the meeting's over, then you walk over and you have a cooler room, which is where you're having a cup of coffee, talk about it with one of your peers. So you're having a meeting after the meeting. That's not how you make change. That's not someone with need for approval. That's someone who, right, who has need for approval. They're going over and they're not going to say it in front of people. They're going to say it off to the side. So when you look at success, there are some absolute roadmaps of success. Goals, plan, execution. Make sure your attitude drives your behavior. Your behavior allows you to use your techniques. Now, I'm, of course, I'm very oversimplifying it, and there's a lot more to it. But being successful or having success, but being successful, having the ability to think and drive and do is a challenging part for a lot of people. And unfortunately for some, they get to success. They have a desire. They have a commitment. They have the fortitude. They take the big risks. Then they get to an income level, and they stop. So what that means is mentally, they went from being a climber to now a camper. And it's someone who wanted to conquer the world is now someone who's trying to protect their turf. And it's because psychologically, they've starting to earn what they psychologically think they're worth. You're right on the money about the ego. So now they're making a million, 600,000, 300,000, 5 million, the number's indifferent. Well, once they hit that level, unfortunately for most, they go from someone who's a high, high desire, massive amount of commitment, big risks, have the grit, to all of a sudden now saying, hey, I like my three homes. The house down in the, the islands is fantastic. The house out west is great for skiing. I have a great campground. Kids are great. Life's great. Balance is great. And then they just slow down. Their motivation goes from desire to grow to a desire to protect my campground. So again, that success is classic. And it's also, unfortunately, some people become successful follow the other route, which is now they start to camp. How do you in yourself stay hungry and, and thirsty and in touch with your own edge where you push yourself to new developments, to new growth, to never be satisfied with where you are? You know, and that's a, it's, a, it's a thing that I think all of us and those that are successful and, and, and think they're successful are the, the for most of us the the goal line moves a little bit right and so when you hit your first objectives the goal line moves and the goal line moves and then depending on how you're trying to be it moves now i think in the beginning if your motivation is external and you hit those benchmarks you kind of lose your mojo right so if you want to your goal is to earn x and you start to hit x some people lose their mojo i think that if you have the capacity and God, I'm willing that I've been blessed to have a motivation. It's called growth motivation. And growth motivation sounds like you have the same thing, which is it doesn't make a difference what you did. You're always trying to figure out how better you can become. So growth motivation is always about how good can I be? 
I did that. Hmm. I wonder how we can do this or how do we do this? What if? So growth motivation always lives in the world of what if. So I've been lucky enough to have that as my motivation. So regardless of how successful we are or what we're doing or where we're going, it's always what if. And that has helped me out quite a bit. Right. Tell me about a mistake or a setback that you successfully converted into uh, learning and growing as a, as a professional. Were, were you sure. were able to apply this very same aptitude for growth, but in the face of challenge and adversity? Yeah, and I can go to, to uh, and obviously numerous examples, but you know, I would say one, I was working on with a client of mine. We were rewriting. I was probably five years into the business. It was my biggest case at the time. We were rewriting their entire um, management, compensation, and sales process from a strategy all the way down to the playbooks. And I, I thought I hit a home run. And I remember flying out to the client, sitting down, and, and the CEO was less than happy with what we did. And he was less than happy with the senior VP of sales who was driving it, who was then unhappy with me, which I didn't realize is that person was getting fired and that was just another, so it didn't have anything to do with me, but I still felt it. And I didn't know that for years. So that, that ability to spend all my time and energy trying to create an, an unbelievable deliverable tool to have someone that high up in the organization not like it. So that was devastating for a little while, but what it, what it turned into actually was what I created, we used for 10 more years with that client and other clients. So it was actually a, a home run. It just at that time, the individual was using it to get back at somebody else, but it did turn out well. So I think, you know, as you hit that time of adversity, you hit that time of, oh my gosh, what's going on? The whole world starting to evacuate around you. When you can get past all that emotional trash and you start looking at it from an unemotional standpoint, you can actually find some great stuff in bad situations. Curious. What do you find that clients are asking you about and struggling with at, at this particular time? And I'm, I'm asking this in the context that we seem to have a bifurcated economy. On one side, you have people like yourself and myself that are doing very well. And on the other side, there are many, many business owners and small and mid-sized businesses that are struggling how to break out of their own pressure system and out of the rut race. So yes. what are they asking and how do you help those kind of, of uh, people, even in large organizations, break out of position in which they've been in for a very long time and they have not been able to break out of? Well, if, if, the, if the question is, how do I help people break out of something they've been doing for a while and they, they haven't figured it out yet and how to do that, that is people change for emotionally either to get out of pain, to avoid pain, or to, for instant pleasure or future pleasure, four motivational factors for change. So when we take a look at an individual and have a conversation with them, as we start to take a look at the problems, we need to uncover the reasons for the problems to figure out the reasons are fixable and who owns the reasons. Then from the reason, we're going to go into the impact. When we start taking a look at the impact, that impact is personal, could be to the business, it could be how it's affecting other individuals, affecting um, projects you have going on. But at the end of the day, how much financial impact is it having? When we look at those areas and have them have a, really a self-discovery through questioning skills, you're going to find out real fast, are they in pain or are they in pleasure? If they're in pain, are they aware of it? 
Do they agree with it? More importantly, are they committed to fixing it? And that's what we need for motivation. Motivation is one of the things we need to have to change people. And motivation does come from either pain or pleasure. So more times than not, when I do talk to people and they have a problem, but there's no emotional attachment to it, there won't be change to it. They'll try, in quotes, because it's intellectual. When it becomes emotional, it becomes a commitment. When it's intellectual, it becomes an intention. So when you want to really change people, you've got to uncover their motivation, their drivers, then uncover the situation, the impact, and figure out that's big enough, strong enough, that they're willing to change who they are to change the outcome. And, and in your coaching, coaching dialogue, that is what you are reaching to discover first, that point uh, of motivation or true need that, that uh, propels them. And that is where your inquiry leads you to, to discover, correct? Yeah. I mean, depending on the size of the company too. So if it's a say $100 million and smaller, we'll typically look at what are your objectives? What's your strategy to get there? What's the structure that you have? That's process and procedures and et cetera. Then what type of, of staff do you have or people? And then skills. Now, when we look at the objectives, the strategy, the structure, the staff, and the skills, we historically will go out three years and two years and one year, reverse delegation, right? Reverse engineering. So as we're starting to go through this, we start to have them gain. They start to say, this is what I want. This is what I want to accomplish. And they get excited. And as they start to get excited, then we start peeling back the onion about strategy, about the structure, about the staff, and about the skills. And we, more times than not, will find gaps. Those gaps, we have to figure out, are they a problem or are they pain? And if they're pain, are we going to fix them? So part of the discovery process is having them envision where they want to go first. And then as they start to discover where they want to go, then they start asking themselves, what are going to be the roadblocks for us to get there? Now, in other companies, they already know where they want to go. And they already know what the problems are. So sometimes it's easier just by fixing or helping people adjust or graduate out of a seat of a bus. But more times than not, it's what's that objective? What's your strategy that you're really trying to do? Because more times than not, the strategies are wrong. And you know that. I mean, everything else is incidental if your strategy is not right. That's like you know trying to build a house with a broken foundation. Then you sometimes have great strategies, but your structure, your internal, your processes, your systems, how you follow up, I mean, all the, the touch points of how to run the machine isn't following your strategy. Well, let's suppose it is following your strategy, but your staff's no good. When you talk about fixing the pain, how do you mean that? Because I don't know that we can actually fix human beings. <laughs> um, <laughs> what, what, I, what I do know is that we can facilitate a process whereby they are becoming more self-aware and the, uh, they can initiate for themselves the, the growth, the development processes that will change, uh, make those changes in, in their personal lives and in their ecosystem that will indeed address perhaps the, the initial cause of, of the pain. Am I describing the way you think about it or do you mean differently when you, you talk about fixing pain? Well, pain is, is, is everything from financial down to emotional down to personal. So if I'm sitting with someone and we're having a conversation and this one individual is, for instance, maybe he's the, the head of North America sales and their next move is to become the CEO. And as we're looking at this, what's holding them back from becoming the CEO are two or three issues that they have. Now, they've probably known about these issues for a little while, but they haven't had the desire or the need or the necessity. Their back hasn't been against the wall yet. that forced them to change it. Now, some are aware and some are not aware. But 
when you look at the growth process, you're right on the money that people must be aware of what their pain is, but they also have to have a commitment to fix the pain. If there's no commitment to fix the pain, then what we're talking about, again, is intellectual need, not emotional drivers. So right. that, that pain is crucial for change because if it was just training people, my gosh, you and I would write 16, 15, 1800 books and we would be in, own our own island. It's not about just knowledge. Training is easy. Changing people is the hard part. Since you, you spoke about having your back to the wall sometime with the people that, that you work with, at, at what point in your life did you feel that you have had your back to the wall and how did you uh, respond in that situation? Yeah, I mean, I haven't had my back against the wall with my clients, but if, if their back is against the wall, right, and they have to I mean, make change. If you have someone who's doing the same amount of income for the last three or four years, they're camping. If they're camping, more times than not, They have areas in their life that they could definitely change to grow, but they're choosing not to. Now, in my world, you know, my back is against, against the wall, and I'm not sure if it has been um, quite a bit because, knock on wood, I leave myself at least enough options. But when you're back against the wall, there's fight or flight. And that fight is what I need. The fight is what I don't need. That's when people run from their fears. They run from what their issues are. And when they run from it, that means they don't have commitment or desire to fix the problem. And if they don't desire to fix the problem, they're not going to change. So we're talking about you can spend lots of money and people spend lots of money with us on sales training, management training, leadership development, lots and lots of projects that we do inside of companies. But we, we tell everyone, unless they're motivated to make change, we will be entertaining as possible. But training and development, unless it creates change, is entertainment. Yep. And unfortunately, it's, it's ridiculous, but that's the way it is. So, and everyone has the capacity to change. It's just, are they going to choose to change? Glenn, if you were to lose all that you know, but retain only one or two practices, what would these practices be? Oh, that's a good question. Number one would be, Um, probably is failure is not a bad thing. Mm. If I had to remember one thing, it were a couple. One would be failure is absolutely, I don't have to like it. I don't want it, but never be afraid of it. Because if you're afraid of it, you don't take risks. Because every time there's a risk, there's a possibility of having an outcome that's not what you wanted. And most of us see that as a failure. And if you see it as failure, you don't take risks. So failure, my perception of failure is one I would probably change. The other one I would probably keep is a philosophy we have called pay time and no pay time is understanding what generates and what is critical in my day, pay time activities, and where are things I have to do that are semi-important or other people will call important, but not critical. Those are no pay time activities. So creating an email, for instance, is no pay time activities. Having a one-on-one -on -one coaching session, hiring somebody on a sales call, that's pay time. So having the ability to know what generates and where my actions and energy should be spent would be quite good for me to remember. And I think the last one I would probably say is, is to maintain and believe in that high self-esteem, which will create a successful mindset. And that's anything that I would do during the day, anything that would happen would be mine, meaning that I take 100% responsibility and ownership for everything I touch and everything I do. 
because I can take ownership, I'm not going to blame outside forces. And if I don't blame outside forces, I'm not making excuses. And if I don't make excuses, then I'm going to have the capacity to learn. So I think those would probably be the three. Yeah, beautiful. Preserving high self-esteem, making sure you uh, remember what's mission critical, which is what you call pay time, and remembering that failure is not a bad thing, uh, and taking risk and, and expanding into new horizons and new possibilities is the way to go. Beautiful uh, three tips there. Uh, this yeah. was a, a rich exploration with you uh, today, Glenn. So as, as we bring this to landing, what parting wisdom would you want to offer to people listening to Create New Futures? Well, one of the things I would, would offer for people is, uh, to me, it goes back to an old Navajo Indian story about two wolves. And it was a medicine man walking with the chief's son through the fields. As he's walking through the fields, he tells the young boy about that all of us have these two wolves inside of us and they fight every day. The black wolf is the one that feeds on despair and anger and fear and resentment. The white wolf is the one that feeds on conviction and, 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 and determination, commitment and desire and risk-taking, love and passion. And the little kid's kind of getting nervous, right? He's filling his belly and he's, what do you mean I have wolves inside my belly? And, and he goes, well, well, which one wins? And the medicine man turns to him and goes, whichever one you feed, everyone listening in has two wolves inside their bellies, has two wolves inside their heads and their heart. One wolf is the black wolf and one's the white wolf. We don't want to get rid of the black wolf. The black wolf is very powerful. We just need to control the black wolf. And the black wolf is the one that has all the negative stuff that influences us. And sometimes we need those negatives. We need to get angry sometimes. We need to have a little fear in us sometimes to take action. But if we could control and have the ability to understand the white wolf versus the black wolf, feed the one you're supposed to feed. And as you feed the white wolf, the black wolf will get more angrier, get angrier, and will speak louder and won't play the game fairly. But when you know that's happening, that means that you're winning. So when your mind is trying to convince you to do the things that are opposite of what you're doing right now, that's a thumbs up. That means you're winning and your brain's going, I don't like what you're doing. I like the way you're used to be because I could control you. And they fight it. So the noise won't dissipate. The noise will just become less and less and less. So if I can leave a parting for everybody is have the ability to control your black wolf, inspire yourself to follow your white wolf and be the best you can be, not who you're choosing to be, but be the best that you can be internally. Great uh, closing message. Thank you very much. Thank you. Here we are. We've landed this Create New Futures journey, and now it's your time to take action, to create your new future. Here are a few steps you can take this week. First, Teach yourself to embrace challenges, setbacks, and failures, not because you desire and want them, but because these experiences are part of life and they contain tremendous growth potential that we can all learn to realize. Second, be very clear about what's mission critical for you, what Glenn calls paytime. Rigorous focus on those activities will quickly move you forward and will make you stand out in the crowd. And third, remember to feed the white wolf in the form of your aspirational self and the aspirational growth you imagine for yourself. 
To do so, as Glenn suggested, you must override the affinity addiction and the needful desire to be liked. Instead, build your own self-esteem and work to be respected for your leadership, contribution, and the values you embody and bring to life. One more thing. You can reach me directly by phone and on email to explore how we can help you and your team create your new future. See you next time. Thank you for listening. Aviv always encourages his clients to identify the one or two ideas they can move forward into action immediately. What will you capture and apply today? You can always begin with a small action and then build momentum over time. When you move forward from an idea to action, you get immediate ROI, return on the time you invested, and return of learning. And then the learning cycle builds the success propulsion. One more thing. You can reach Aviv directly by phone and email to discover how he can help you create a new future for your business and organization. Creating your new future can begin today.